Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Football Social Daily Premier League Podcast. It's been 20 years since Arsenal last won the Premier League title. Is this finally their season to taste top flight glory once again? Liverpool still top of the tree, but beaten by the Gunners in a huge game at the Emirates yesterday. Although some are suggesting it could be a better result for Manchester City rather than everyone else. The title race is starting to heat up in the Premier League and we'll talk about that on today's award-winning podcast, Football Social Daily. We'll also discuss just how badly things are unravelling for Maurizio Pochettino at Chelsea. And we ask the question, what's your favourite sandwich? We'll get to the bottom of that later on FSD. My name's Niall, joined by Joel Tudor and Marley Anderson. Well, come on, lads, what's your favourite sarni? Love a good meal deal, don't we, Joel? <laughs> oh, we, every, well, if anyone doesn't know what a meal deal is for people not in the UK, it's where... Tesco, actually it's not just Tesco, it's not limited to Tesco, all of the major food shops, they have a meal deal where you can choose a drink, a sandwich, ready-made, and a snack of your choice. And it's almost like a running trend in the country where everyone compares the meal deals. And when everyone walks into the office with one, I always have to inspect and see what, what if it's up to standard or not, do you know what I mean? There's even like a ranking page on Facebook, isn't there, for the best meal deals and the worst meal deals. Although you didn't really answer my question because my question was, what's your favourite sandwich? The answer is prawn mayo. Yeah, only because the options are really poor. I mean, you can go plain Jane and have a tuna with just, what is it, just tuna and butter? <laughs> ham and cheese. Or ham, ham and cheese. Like, come on, where's the spice? I need to bring my own sriracha sauce just to give it something. So yeah, prawn mayo for me, that's my typical go-to. To be fair, Marley, the day that Joel walks into the office without a prawn mayo sandwich, something is up. I'll be questioning whether it's the real Joel Tudor, whether there's an imposter afoot. Yeah, if there's not a prawn mayo sandwich in the fridge at work, that means Joel just isn't in. Or I've left. <laughs> or he's already eaten yeah. it and gone. Yeah. Or he's eaten it, yeah. <laughs> What's your favourite butty then, Marley? I know you're a northerner, so I suppose I better call it a butty. Butty. Um, just something, I like an all-day breakfast one, me. Just as much content as you can between those pieces of bread. Love it. <laughs> you guys who have just tuned into Football Social Daily for the first time might be thinking, why are they talking about sandwiches? Well, you will find out very, very shortly. Some of you might have already cottoned on, but welcome to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily. I'm Niall, Marley and Joel are with me, and we like to discuss the big talking points in the Premier League, and there are plenty to go across this weekend. But we always start on a Monday, the first show of the week, 
with our regular feature, Get in the Sea, which is our chance to have a moan or a whinge or a whine or get something off our chest, really, that might have happened over the course of the Premier League weekend. So who wants to go first? I'll tell you what, Joel... Let's go to you first. What do you want to cast into the sea this week? Yeah, I'll go first because mine's not quite Premier League related. And I know we've got some big ones to come on the Premier League. But mine was where I recently saw a picture of Gareth Southgate in the crowd. And I was thinking, I wonder who he's going to watch in the Premier League or maybe in Serie A, maybe some of the English boys there, maybe even Jude Bellingham, just have a quick look in Madrid. I didn't know that he's gone to Amsterdam to watch Jordan Henderson play for Ajax. Why on earth would you make the trip to go and see a 34 Jordan Henderson who's just been washed up from Saudi Arabia to watch him play for Ajax? The guy is done and dusted. Why does he not go want to go and see Fakayo Tamori in, in Milan? Why does he not want to go and see Loftus-Cheek in Milan who's been really good for, uh, for AC at the moment, by the way? Or any of the other English guys in Germany, for example? No, it has to be his... Golden child, pride of honour, Jordan Henderson, who pretty much put his England career in the dust when he went to Saudi. And now all of a sudden he's come back to Europe. Southgate is like, actually, it's quite a cheap flight to get to Amsterdam. I think Ryanair might do £30 return, so I may as well go and check him out for a bit. (laughs) What a load of nonsense that is, honestly. I used to really like Gareth Southgate, but honestly, after this Euros, I can't wait for some fresh perspective. None of this... My favourite gets in regardless of his situation and we start getting a bit more of a level playing field because it's absolutely pathetic. Can I just say on Southgate, I was talking to someone yesterday, I was at the Manchester United against West Ham game at Old Trafford and I was speaking to someone whilst I was watching the game about the midfield players that Southgate might take to the Euros because James Ward-Prowse was playing and Kobe Mainu has obviously come through and somebody suggested whether Kobe Mainu might be that additional midfield player that Southgate takes to the Euros because as Calvin Phillips was warming up along the touchline, I was like, the reason he's gone on loan to West Ham effectively is to get some game time because he's probably going to go to the Euros, isn't he? Southgate's going to pick him. Yeah, really liked Calvin game, Phillips. by the way. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was rubbish when really he came bad. on. He's not had a great start to life at West Ham, has he? But... Bellingham will go, Rice will go, Phillips will probably go. And I was like, well, who's the other midfielder? Will it be Kobe Mainu? Will it be Ward Prowse? Will it be Sean Longstaff, who's having a great season, for example? Connor Gallagher, probably. Yeah. Connor Gallagher. And someone just piped up from the back of the room that I was stood in. Jordan Henderson. You've forgotten about him. Southgate was watching him yesterday in Amsterdam. And I thought, you know what? I had forgotten about Jordan Henderson. But that's because he's not been playing well enough, I think, to warrant a spot in the England squad. But then again... How can we sit here and say that he doesn't deserve a spot, Henderson, when Calvin Phillips has played two games for West Ham, pretty much the only two games he's played all season, let's be honest, and he's been terrible, yet he's probably going to go and people seem to accept that a little bit more. So I'm playing devil's advocate here because generally I agree with you, Joel, but do you see my point? But you're just reminding me then, why was he not at the Man United-West Ham game then? Kobe Mayne who's definitely in line, I think, for a shot if he continues the way he's going. James Ward-Prowse, I know you're not a massive fan of him, but you have to say with his te- te- um, with his set-piece ability, yeah. he has to be in contention. Yeah, in terms of options on show yesterday, oh, yeah. Ward-Prowse, Phillips, Mainu, yeah. you'd think that the England manager would be watching that game and not, not a random to Amsterdam, 34-year-old. Amsterdam to yeah. watch a guy who's he's done. Let, let, give the new guard a chance. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. His priorities are absolutely misconstrued in terms of what he wants for this England side. I'm actually quite ashamed because... You know, Kobe Mainu, match winner last week against Wolves. 
next game, if I was the England manager, I'd be thinking, right, let me go and have a look at him. Not just him, though. Every other player. you got Jared Bowen, who was playing yesterday. You had Marcus Rashford playing yesterday. All these different players on show. Harry Maguire came back from his injury. Luke Shaw came back from his injury. And he wants to go and watch his golden boy, Jordan Henderson. If I could just sigh right now and just get in the seat, please do. (laughs) (laughs) Gareth Southgate's going into the sea. That's what Joel wants to whine about this weekend. I think it's a fair point because the Euros will be upon us soon enough. And when it gets into March, Marley, international football will be back and that'll be fascinating to see who he picks for his England squad, his first England squad of 2024. But we'll send that to the bottom of the ocean for now. Your turn, mate. Um, I'm chucking in a bit of um, just another little weird rant on Chelsea. Um, I think Pochettino should be doing should be doing way more with the squad, even though it's a mishmash of, of players and stuff. I think for the level of manager he is, he should be he should be working it out. Um and as a sort of side getting to see as well, the um everyone's favourite uh, footballer's wife has been chirping up again on Twitter. Tiago Silva's wife has been on giving him the uh the kiss of death on on Twitter saying, Oh if you don't change now uh, it's too late because obviously, as we all know, when we think about football and you know football profits and amazing you know intellectual minds of the beautiful game, you do think of Bell Silver, don't you? You you just you just do. You think of some forty <laughs> year old Brazilian woman who's you know the wife of a very very good defender, um, <laughs> and you just think, what does Bell Silver think? And obviously, she tweets it, and all all the Chelsea fans lap it up of. Oh, Bell Silver. Yeah, but our old boy's 40 years old chasing Pedro Neto around the park. I mean, he can't go on forever. I mean, she's calling for changes at Chelsea or whatever, and I understand she's frustrated, but Thiago Silva will be outlasted by 95% of the rest of that squad. I'm not sure about that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I think he might last outlast all of them. Yeah, he's, um, he's struggled, to be fair, but so did Chelsea, and that's that's kind of my point. I mean... Like Moises Caicedo just looks like he's actually being targeted now, um, and it's another chip in the cap of um, uh, feather in the cap. Not a chip in the cap is, but feather in the cap of Gary O'Neill of of saying right, Caicedo has zero confidence. So whenever that ball goes into him and Chelsea try and play through the lines, just rob him, just go for him. He he's your press target. Like, we'll get at, we'll get at him because he's not got the confidence to to be the player he was at Brighton and. You know, Wolves have absolutely slaughtered Chelsea in the end. They've got two, obviously they've got two disallowed, uh, deflected goals, but the the dominance in play was there um, and Wolves were Wolves were great value for that win. Um, and again, just... But in Chelsea. terms of what she said, Marley, and it's not the first time she said something on social media regarding her husband's employers, that is unprofessional. And although it's not coming directly from Thiago Silva, to have people around you making those sorts of comments and undermining those in charge of the football club is so unprofessional isn't it yeah and that's my point like what who is she to talk about you know her husband's employers like it just looks unprofessional and it's and it is unprofessional and it's just something that doesn't need to be said it's not your decision it's not your place to talk it's not you've never been you know i'm not not making this a wider thing. But. And regardless of whether the fact she might have a point, you're right. When you're in that position, you have to keep your mouth shut, really. Yeah, it's just it's just 
low like you know you want you should want your husband's team to do well not be calling for the manager to be sacked and because as soon as you say it <clears throat> and you've got that link to a player it just causes more rumors of oh is Thiago um does Thiago believe in Pochettino and he's actually, he's actually playing quite well for a 40 year old guy you know nobody's having to go at Thiago Silva because he got burned by Pedro Neto Neto is one of the best wingers in the Premier League um and you know he's bang in form and he's yes a 23 year old Portuguese fella is going to run past a 39 year old Brazilian with ease you know what I mean it's it's not you know uh, it's just it's frustrating that you know they can't get it together Pochettino for me should be doing better anyway Um, should he be sacked because some of the Chelsea fans were booing them before they even took to the pitch against Wolves they've had enough and Chelsea fans aren't exactly blessed with patience probably stemming from the Abramovich era where their hire and fire culture did work for them, won them many trophies in that 20-year spell. But in terms of what Pochettino has left in the tank, in terms of favour with fans and the owners, it seems to be running a bit dry. Yeah, I don't know I don't know if he should be sacked or not because I don't think I don't think he's the he's the problem. Like he's gone into a club where you know this uh, this new owner is just signing everybody anybody and everybody and I think Pochettino was kind of a bit passive in allowing that owner to do what he wanted because ultimately that owner picked him so he's going to feel like indebted to him and he's going to be like well if you want that player go and get him I'm not going to stand in your way just get me some players because we need investment after the summer and um, and, and the poor finish last season and stuff so he was always going to be like yep yeah, sign Nkunku sign Badiashil sign Dizassi sign Sanchez sign Caicedo sign Enzo sign... Uh, Mudieke, Sain Mudrix, everyone, he's going to say yes to them all, but to not, I mean, what are we, 21 games in or something, and he still has no idea what his best 11 is. He doesn't even know his best formation. He can't get a result out of them playing either way. Um, I think the money they've spent, just they haven't looked at the character of the players, I don't think, and they're just playing like a bunch of individuals, and when they do get chances, they miss them. Nicholas Jackson's not prolific at all. Sterling missed another sitter from probably the best football Chelsea played um, against Wolves, where Chilwell knocked it back to him. And Sterling, who is just is baffling in the fact that he's got over a hundred Premier League goals and he can't finish his can't finish his sandwich. <laughs> I mean, ima- imagine how many goals he should have had in his Premier League career. He should have. He should be getting on for two hundred now. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And he's not, he's got like, I don't know, it's probably like 108 or something like that. But it's staggering how bad he is at finishing. He just misses chance after chance after chance. He should have scored at least 30 more goals at Manchester City. At oh, least. yeah. And getting on for 10-15 at Chelsea, I would say, so far. So you're talking like, realistically, if Sterling could finish, he would genuinely be in with a shout of being close to to Shearer's record, he'd be he'd be pushing two hundred goals in the Premier League because he started so young and he's always been here. If he got ten a season or fifteen a season, but you know he he was that good and he had that potential, but he's never been able to to just finish chances. Um, and I don't even know if he gets in Chelsea's best team, and I don't think Pochettino knows, which is the point I come back to. Of how what, what formation do you play? How do you play? He doesn't know. Um, he's got a hundred million pound problem in Caicedo. He's just got no confidence at all. Um, and, and probably needs a few easy games to ease him back into it and just become the player he was at Brighton. But there's questions about everything. Like, what Was he ever that good? Or were, were Brighton just perfect for him? 
Like there are clubs that that are, that are like that. You look at Calvin Phillips at Leeds; he was perfect for Leeds, and he was brilliant. And City bought him, and Pep realized after five seconds he just wasn't the player he thought he was because the system was so right for him, and Bielsa's coaching was so right for him, and Guardiola's was different. So it could be like that with Caicedo. You you never know. I don't want him to fail because I I do quite like him as a player, but he's struggling along, and you know where does that pressure? When that pressure builds, where does it end? Because Bowley spent the money on him. Pochettino just said yes. Bowley was happy to, to, you know, hammer 100 million quid on him. Um, But ultimately, it'd be Pochettino who gets sacked if he can't get a tune out of him. So, so I don't know if he should be sacked. He he probably will be. But does it solve any problems? I'm not sure. Because that squad, to me, just still doesn't look anywhere near the level that they think they should be at. Mm, but they've got good players and I think that's part of the problem, isn't it? It's like you mentioned, a load of players, you reeled them off there. Good players, just not getting results. And a good manager, generally, we all think Pochettino's a good manager, but I do fear for him and his time at Chelsea in the manager's hot seat. Marley chucking that into the sea. Finally time to clear up this sandwich chat, boys, because what I'm thrown into the sea is Chris Wilder. And the reason Chris Wilder's being thrown into the sea It's because of this comment he made, not at the weekend, even though his side got absolutely destroyed by Aston Villa at Bramall Lane, but a comment he made after their game on Thursday night in the Premier League. So I've waited days to get this off of my chest. Have a listen to this. Every 50-50 or tight decision goes goes against us. And if that's what we're going to have to deal with between now and the end of the season, we're going to deal with, but I'm not just going to go... Go under under the radar and not say anything. I've been to see the referee. I've told him that um, one of his assistant assistants was eating a sandwich at the time. I thought that was a complete lack of respect. Uh, hopefully, he enjoyed his sandwich while he was talking to a Premier League manager. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't laugh, but it just makes me laugh every time. I must have listened to that about twelve times, and it still makes me chuckle. What is he going on about, Chris Wilder? fuming that the referee is having a sandwich after the game by the way Chris Wilder has gone into the referee's room the one place the referee gets a bit of respite and a bit of calm away from all of the chaos he's decided to tuck into his post-match sandwich <laughs> and Chris Wilder's seen his ass about it I don't understand that it's he's talking hilarious. like he's talking as if he's walked in and the, the assistant just pulled out a sandwich he's like you know what I don't give a crap what you've got to say here's my problem mayo keep talking the best part about it is when he was saying wasn't just the fact that he was talking with a sandwich in front of him. It's the fact that he's a Premier League yeah. manager, and you don't get to you don't get to eat a sandwich when you're talking to a Premier League manager. Yeah. I mean, God, he might slap me in the face if I had a problem mate, in front of him. Because sorry, you're a, you're a Premier League manager. My bad. I can only go repent my sins at the church. Oh God, that's just so funny, man. I can't get over that. How is eating a sandwich in his own dressing room, which you've barged into, but disrespectful? He <laughs> was so innocent as well. Like wiping the crumbs off his mouth, and Chris Wilder's like, "What's going on with this?" And he's just like, "I can just imagine the assistant just his carrying right on, into tucking it. into his sandwich, oh. just to spite Chris Wilder." He's like, "Carry on, mate. I'm going to keep chewing this sandwich. Don't you worry about it." The question is, Marley, is it disrespectful to eat a sandwich when you're talking to a Premier League manager? Well, there's two th- there's two things for me. Number one, number one, Chris, you've gone into his room, so whatever whatever exactly. he's doing is fine. So he can eat his sandwich because he's just finished a game. You don't eat before a game. You don't want to be running up and down a line with a sandwich, a prom mayo flying around in your stomach because you'll puke it up and you'll look. then you'll become a meme forever. So you don't want that. So 
you have what a light thing before the game and then you finish and you think I'm hungry now and you eat your sandwich in in the sanctity of your own room and then some angry angry Yorkshireman comes barging in and num- the second thing that it leads on to is you're talking to the referee who's in charge of the game and his assistant is eating a sandwich <laughs> you're not talking to the assistant you're talking yeah, to the ref. <laughs> so he's just stood there. He's just a bystander in this whole thing, just happily just chewing away on whatever it was. I'd love to know what sandwich it it's was. Like, it's like he was expecting when the Queen walks in, everyone stands up and goes, oh, straight in your tire. He's probably been absolutely screaming at the ref and in his peripheral. Yeah. He's just saw the assistant not involved in the conversation. It's like, what, you, what are you eating a sandwich for while I'm talking to the referee? It's proper tipped him over the edge. The fact he's come out and actually said that in a post-match. Proper, imagine him coming out of the room oh, like, God. I didn't care about the referee decision it's about him eating that flipping sandwich I'm changing my mind I don't know if I should throw that in the sea because it made me laugh so much it's absolutely class I love it we've not had many weird post-match interviews this season so can't stop you are an idiot sandwich to Chris Wilder in the words of of, um, Gordon Ramsay he's made my face hurt with that one Chris Wilder goodness me what do you think the sandwich was clearly one that he didn't like he didn't like the look of it it's something like referee I'm imagining like ham and cucumber with cream cheese or something like that i don't think it'll be a dirty blt or something like that it'll be a quite a healthy sandwich knowing the referees i hope it's stank and that's how he noticed it yeah i hope he was mid-rant going and that 50 50 that was never offside and then he's gone <laughs> are you eating cheese and chive in a sandwich you coronation chicken stinking the room mustard all over it <laughs> Onions all oh over it. Oh my God, what an absolutely <laughs> hilarious post-match interview. That was on Thursday. I've waited ages to get that in the sea. Chris Wilder, what is he talking about? I mean... Well, at least he said I, he hoped he enjoyed it. I generally really do like Chris Wilder on the whole, but I thought... I normally do as well, but that, he that was, was bizarre. It wasn't even tongue-in-cheek. He was genuinely off that someone was chomping a sandwich in front of him. Uh, anyway, that concludes getting to see for another week. Um, sorry, Chris Wilder, I had to. What are you talking about? Hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. I mean, some people listening to this might not find it that funny. I just thought that was absolutely brilliant. So, yeah, that's going into the sea. And next up, we're not going to talk about the bottom end of the Premier League because after that result against Aston Villa, I think we can all hang our hats on Sheffield United being relegated. We are going to talk about the top end because there was a massive game between the top two in the title race this season, and that's Liverpool and Arsenal. And it was a game in which the Gunners came out on top. What does that mean for the Premier League title race? We'll have a look next on FSD. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
This is Football Social Daily, an award-winning Premier League podcast. And the last few years, the Premier League has been dominated by Manchester City. And this season, they still are in the title race. But the top two, Liverpool and Arsenal, contested a game at the Emirates yesterday. And it was a game in which Arsenal came out victorious. The gap would have been steeper between the two had Liverpool won. But it was Arsenal who cut the gap to just two points, Joel, with their victory at the Emirates. And it's fair to say, when Jurgen Klopp, a man known for coming out with a few excuses here and there, says that Arsenal were the better team after the game, you have to hold your hands up and say, the Gunners deserved the win. He actually did come out with a few excuses at the end. We'll, we'll oh, come to be fair, the later. interview I've seen, he just said, Arsenal deserved the win. No, you the you missed the good bulker, that Jesus. <laughs> he was really blaming the referee at the end. Um, but honestly, throughout the whole game, Arsenal were just head and shoulders way better than Liverpool. Liverpool defended so poorly. I mean, Van Dijk and Alisson... Van Dijk was looking like Van Disney and Alisson was looking like Alice in no man's land <laughs> with the way in which that second goal went in. It was just really uncharacteristic from a lot of them and Arsenal for the good portions of the game, you know, playing Jorginho in the centre to gain a little bit more of control. It just seemed to work really well where even Liverpool couldn't really get out of their own half and Arsenal's pressing was almost so symbolic of what we used to with Liverpool when they're counter-pressing and really strangling their opponents. But... I thought it was just such a a missed opportunity for Liverpool because in the last few games, they've actually been really lethal in their attack and they've been quite potent. And Arsenal have probably been looking the quite opposite. But you have to give credit to Arsenal because they really, really took the chances. Obviously, if Liverpool would have won that game, they would have gone seven points clear. And at this stage of the season, that is quite a considerable amount. So I think for Arsenal, this is a pretty, I would say, a turning point in their season, to be honest. They've got the Champions League coming up in the next couple of weeks as well. I think it stands them in such... Uh, good stead but I think it was just such a it it felt to me like a bit of a, a statement win I would say because Liverpool only won, had only lost one game prior to this and then they made them look really really poor so I think unbelievable result for Arsenal Some people though Marley are saying that despite the fact Arsenal have won and they keep themselves in touching distance of Liverpool just two points away the result actually is not as significant for Liverpool or Arsenal as it is for Manchester City. This brings them closer to the top two in terms of the title race. And they've got two games in hand on both Arsenal and Liverpool. They're on 46 points, 21 games played. Arsenal and Liverpool have both played 23. The Gunners on 49 points. Liverpool on 51, leading the way. So it does tighten the gap between the sides there. Do you think this is a result that might have more of an impact on Manchester City than either Arsenal or Liverpool? Yeah, I think as much as Arsenal won won the game, I think Man City were just as big a winner without even playing. Because um, obviously now they can go top. If they win both games in hand, they're playing tonight again uh, against Brentford. Um, and that'll put them three points off. And then, then that juggernaut is right there. You don't want Man City within touching distance of you in in February and, and onwards because we know how good they get and they've just got De Bruyne back and they're getting Haaland back and they've got Doku back and Alvarez is scoring you know relatively regularly and, and all the rest of it so they probably become like comfortable favourites for the title now Man City but it was a good win for Arsenal um, they got um, you know sort of proved to themselves that they're at least as good as Liverpool if Liverpool are top of the league and they've beat them after that dodgy run that Arsenal went on over Christmas, um, it was a good result for them and um, like fair play. The, the whole afterwards was a bit weird. I don't know where to stand on it because 
I sort of I both think that the celebrations were completely worthy, but also still a little bit cringe from Arteta and, and Odegaard and the, the photographer and all the rest of it. But the fallout from that has kind of overshadowed what was uh what was a pretty good game and a and a big result for Arsenal. Do you think the favourites are still Liverpool because they're top? I mean, you've always plumped for Arsenal to win the league this mm. season, haven't you? From the very start you said Arsenal. Have, in one afternoon yesterday, people's perceptions of this title race changed because of that one result? Well, if you go back to just last week when Liverpool beat Chelsea 4-1 and we were all praising how well they were that game. I know, granted, it's Chelsea and it mm. sounds weird saying that considering... It doesn't usually... look as good a result now that Wolves have just yeah, gone exactly. there and beat them by a similar so score. It's, it's almost not even an achievement this season to go and smash Chelsea by at least three goals. So, it's, I agree with Marley and I've never... This never season? agreed with him before. <laughs> in the, I've never, yeah. I thought that was where that was going. <laughs> yeah, no, me too. More so in the fact that I've never really been convinced with Liverpool this season. I don't, I'm almost confused at their league position. And don't get me wrong, they've been really good this season in terms of uh, consistency. But when I actually watch them, I'm still wondering how on earth they've managed to sustain this league position for such a long time. And that's why I think Arsenal and City inevitably will start to gain ground on them and start to overtake them. And we're also seeing as well, without Salah in the starting lineup and up front, they do lack that real clinical touch. Because if you're going to lose a guy who's one of the top scorers in the league, the joint top goal scorer in the league with 14 goals, and then suddenly the next top player is probably Diogo Jota, isn't he? And he's not you know, the most prolific. He's not the guy you would typically go to to go and win you a game. That's where they're going to struggle big time. But I mean, they had some big personnel missing uh, in this Arsenal game. But it just shows, you know, if City win both of their game in ha- games in hand, they go to 52. And then the top three looks like 52, 51 and 49. This one could literally go down to the final five games of the season where Liverpool, Arsenal, Manchester City are within five points of each other going into the final games. And we literally won't have a, a victor until maybe it's all said and done on the final day. That's what we kind of want, to be honest. But uh, with City, it just feels like they, you almost need to make sure... It's like is it, if anyone's ever watched Halloween with Mike Myers, if anyone's seen the very last one, I don't mean to put a spoiler in, but the only way to kill him was to put him in an angle grinder and literally spew him out to make sure he was definitely dead. <laughs> this is what it feels like with City. They have to make sure he's at, they've at, they're, they're gone. And I feel like they've probably missed an opportunity while City were a little bit inconsistent but if you call that an inconsistent run then I mean what's what's a consistent run well we know what it is probably 11 12 13 games on the bounce winning so I think City are going to come into their own Ivan Drago mode now and let's see how it goes but honestly when you've got Haaland coming back mm. and you've got Kevin De Bruyne fully firing it's it's only going to go one way isn't it typically well talking of horrors Horrific result for Crystal Palace at the weekend, beaten by rivals Brighton, and we'll go through it all next on FSD. Final part of today's Football Social Daily. Thanks for joining us today. If you like what you hear and you like the podcast, why not hit subscribe or follow on your favourite podcast platform? That way you'll never miss an episode of the show again. You can also get in touch with us via social media. Links in the description of the show and, of course, link to our Telegram group as well. Don't forget that's a free group chat. All you need to do is click the link, download Telegram and come and join the conversation. Even though Chris Wilder was my get in the sea today, and not for the fact that his side got absolutely battered by Aston Villa. I could easily have put in Crystal Palace again, Marley, because 
they did not show up on what is probably their biggest day of the season against Brighton. There are so many talking points here in this game and let me just run through a few of them. First of all, Roy Hodgson looked utterly dejected and kind of conceded before the game that without Elise, who was on the bench, and Ebere Eze, that they weren't really going to have much joy against Brighton, which is not what you want to hear in terms of a message of confidence from your manager before a, a derby game. Secondly, they signed Adam Wharton for £22 million from Blackburn. He looked like an absolute rabbit in the headlights when he came on for his debut. Mark Gahey got injured, so disaster for Palace there. And then half-time, 3-0 down, Hodgson decides to bring on Michael Elise, who lasted a few minutes before tweaking his hamstring and walking straight down the tunnel, being substrate off again. So many talking points from a Palace perspective, not to mention another banner in the away end, voicing their displeasure at their current chairman, Steve Parrish. It's a mess at the moment at Selhurst Park, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, and it could be it could be seen coming. Um, when you go back to the to the well that is Roy Hodgson again and again and again, at some point it's gonna it's gonna go wrong and you you're just back to square one. He's not he's not the long term manager. He should have been interim and then thank you, Roy. We love you, you're a legend, but we're gonna go again in another direction. Which is why, sorry to cut you off, which is why I've seen a lot of Palace fans today, understandably frustrated on social media, saying this should be Roy Hodgson's last game in the job. He should be sacked. You don't lose a derby like that in that fashion. Make mistakes like you do tactically, bringing on Elise, which I'm sure we'll come on to, etc. They all think that he should be sacked. I actually feel sorry for him, to be honest. As you mentioned, the end of last season, keeping them in the Premier League after making a triumphant return was the perfect way to draw a line under your Crystal Palace career and your management career. But Crystal Palace kept him on. Yeah, exactly. Um, And to keep on the meal deal theme of today, I think if Steve Parrish went into Tesco's and got himself a meal deal, it'd be a ready salted crisps, a bottle of water and a plain ham sandwich with no mayo or butter or anything. He's just completely immune to taking any sort of risk because he's so burnt about Frank De Boer about 10 years ago, whatever it was. Um, and he doesn't want that again. He doesn't want to stick his neck out um, in a big way and have this like next phase of Crystal Palace. Um, and it becomes it's Groundhog Day for Crystal Palace. It's just the same stuff happens. They they finish like thirteenth every year. They don't really sign too many sort of um, players that you would think can take them onto the next level. Um, and then you know things go a bit still, and they sooner or later he starts panicking, and he goes and and he he might be forced now to to see Roy Hodgson uh, sacked again for the second time at Crystal Palace, um, and somebody brought in. But has he has he thought of that? I'm I'm not not even sure how how Steve Parrish thinks uh, like that. But losing that game to to Brighton in the in the manner they did. Brighton can beat anyone. And the Elise thing as well, on top of that, I mean, bringing him on at half-time 3-0 down, some people are of the thinking that Roy didn't have a choice. When you're the manager, you're the only person that has a choice. Yeah, but, I mean, even that, bringing him on at 3-0 down, he's going to have to be some... I mean, I know he's a good player, but he's going to have to be ridiculous to get you back into that game. So the game's almost gone, really. So if you know he's got a dodgy hamstring, why are you putting him on for 45 minutes and saying, can you pull out something that will save my job? Like If it was me, I'd, I'd have just left him out of the squad. 
And then there's there's no there's no like why was he on because the bench? He's clearly not fit enough to play. So why is he even on the bench? That's the question. You're it looks right. it looks worse. And Ed, like Eze, for example, he wasn't in the squad, so you can't say, oh, we should have we should have had Eze. The fans kind kind of go, we haven't got Eze, so we're kind of knackered. And if they haven't got Elise there, they can say, well, it was always going to be tough because we didn't have the pair of them. But they've gone from being a one man team almost under Wilfred Zaha for ten years, and now they're a two man team, but. What once one of them's not playing, it's like, oh my god, it's a disaster. Like I think sometimes you can think as fans of let's say lesser clubs, you can start to think, oh well, don't be careful what you wish for. You know, you're still in the Premier League. If I was a fan of Palace, for example, and you had the likes of Elise and Eze, who are really talented players, you'd be thinking, why can't we push on a little bit more? Because they're seeing teams below them now starting to eclipse them. You see Wolves this season, 10th, might even be able to push for a European place at some point this season. You're seeing Fulham starting to go ahead of them a bit more, even Bournemouth, who looked down and out at the start of the season. And when you've got the likes Bournemouth of Bournemouth took the biggest risk of any, right? of any and, club and, this and, summer, didn't they? And they got so criticised. off Gary O'Neill. And they got criticised for bringing in Iriola as well. So I think Parrish is just content with continuously earning that Premier League revenue every year, keeping them stable, keeping them in the Premier League. But at the end of the day, fans aren't going to be content with just the same thing every other year because I think they're realising in the summertime, Eze and Elise will probably be going. Maybe Elise more so than Eze. But if them two go, where does that leave Crystal Palace? And Roy Hodgson's going to go, where does that leave Palace? Are they going to get him in another year? Are they going to actually go for someone like Bournemouth did, take the risk and say, you know what, let's go and get a really young, progressive manager. If it doesn't work, fine, at least we stood by what we thought was right for our club in terms of trying to progress. Whereas Palace, is, I feel like Parrish needs someone next to him. It's almost I, I always I almost see in Crystal Palace what I see in Man United, which is that he needs someone next to him to show him the next Well, he does. Step. It's Mark Bright who sits there and just has a few words in his ear and that's about it. They're always pictured together at games. But I don't know what Mark Bright actually does. Is he a club <coughs> ambassador? Is he involved behind the scenes? I'm not sure. It just looks like they're two mates watching on, not really sure what to do next. He needs an, he needs an external person, a football person, to come in and basically say, this is how we take the club forward. It's like he's got too many safe yes-men around him who want to keep them in the same position. Don't get me wrong. I mean... Remaining in the Premier League for as long as they have is a really good achievement. But at some point, surely you need to start making a move hmm. because these players aren't... This is, I think the thing that Palace fans are scared of is that the Elise and Eze, even maybe Joachim Anderson, they're not going to hang around forever. If they don't see your club being ambitious, they're going to think, well, you know, the teams above us are going to start offering contracts and we're going. Zaha's done it, probably stayed a little bit longer than he should have, to be fair. It happens time and time again and they need to show ambition or they're going to lose players. Well, Crystal Palace, their fans really unhappy at the moment. I wonder whether Roy Hodgson will be the next Premier League manager to lose his job. The Eagles 14th in the table, which is about where you normally expect them to be. It's going to get tight down there at the bottom. And even though we've spoken about the top of the Premier League and just how close that will be, I think at the bottom as well, it's going to be equally exciting. And whatever happens, we'll be with you all the way through the season here on Football Social Daily. So hit subscribe and never miss an episode. You can also follow us on all of our social media channels. Links to those are in the description. The Telegram group is down in there as well, so go and check that out. But from myself, Joel and Marley, that's it for another FSD. Catch you on the next one. See you then. Football Social Daily is a voice works sport production for the Sports Social.